The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. All through Psalms, we see the raw emotions of people in grief, anxiety, distress. We see the psalmist write about fear and insecurity and, and even trauma that they've gone through. And not just in Psalms. We see Elijah fall into deep, dark depression. We, we see Paul, as he writes, he's betrayed. He talks about his betrayal. He talks about his loneliness. What's incredible all these men, women of, of the Bible, they all circle back. They don't stay in that place of trauma, of distress, of depression. They turn around and they say, the Lord is my shepherd. He restores my soul. He anoints my head with oil. But yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And he sits a table before me in the presence of my enemies. God is greatly interested in your soul. And not just that you would spend eternity with him. Yes, primarily that. But also that it would be well with you. That there would be victory. That there would be peace. There'd be joy. There'd be life as you live. That even if you are facing enemies, you would live at the table. The table of richness, the table of abundance that God has for you. You know, you look at America at the moment, and there's no longer that many wars, although we seem like America's going to war a lot, but in real terms, there's no big wars and there's no big diseases. But you know what is taking out young Americans? Depression, suicide. Mental illness. And so we are beginning a sermon series. It's going to run the next four weeks. And it's called Soul Matters. That we would come into a place of victory. Of the Lord restoring our souls. When Jesus announced his ministry in Luke, as he, as he announced it, he said, I have come to bind up brokenhearted. And so I want to say to you tonight, God wants to touch you. And meet you where you are. It's not good enough for you to stay in your place of heartache. He wants to meet you and touch you and heal you. What do we want to accomplish over the next four weeks? Firstly, we want to face head on and destigmatize and get rid of all shame 
in this area. You know, if you had a broken arm, you wouldn't be ashamed to walk into church with your arm in a sling. And yet, if you're struggling with depression, it seems like you can't talk about it as if something's wrong. We want to bring biblical truth because the Bible gives the most nuanced, comprehensive, complete, multidimensional response to the matters of the soul. We want to help you, us as a community, respond well to people who are going through things. So maybe you're doing good, but your friends, your family, your connect group, you all got a connect group, that there's people around you who you can be equipped to help. We want to provide resources to you, maybe for the journey that you're on, or maybe that you can help other people. We want to specifically, in week two, three, and four, address stress, depression, and trauma that so many people have gone through. Sixthly, we're going to trust God every single Sunday for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That if you're here and if you're in a state of angst or pain or fear or panic or whatever it is, that Jesus would meet with you. That he would restore your soul. Seven, it's not on the slide. We want God to be glorified. <laughs> we want his name to be made great. We want him to be lifted up. We want to be the people that God has called us to be and we want to touch the city. And so us being made whole is such a key part of that. Now, mainstream, classic, orthodox Christianity understands that there is a body and there's a soul and there's a spirit. And here's the scripture for it. Now may the, and there's many other scriptures. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So just as God is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so too we are triune. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are triune, body, soul, and spirit. And your body, we understand our five senses. And, and our soul is classically the mind and the will and emotions with which we relate to people and those around us. And our soul is of great importance because the Bible says, what profits a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Your soul is you. And your spirit is what comes alive when you give your, your heart to Jesus. Your spirit is what comes alive as the Holy Spirit moves upon you. Here's some of the resources, and if you're going to take a picture, this is the picture to take. <laughs> if you need counseling, email Greg. He heads up this incredible pastoral ministry that we've got, and we'll connect you with people, gender-appropriate, skill-appropriate, training-appropriate. There might be people in our church, or there might be professional counselors and psychologists and psychiatrists. There's some incredible U-version Bible studies, those bottom three, so that you can go away and you can just feast in the Word, the table that is set before you, and you can be made strong inside. And then there's two great books, Soul Keeping by John Ortberg, which is amazing, and uh, Dr. Henry Cloud, just one of my favorite authors. So just, if you are in this journey or you want to help other people, please avail yourself of this. Let's go to the Word. We've already gone to the word of Psalm 23, but John, the apostle of love, he writes to his friend, and he says this to him. He says, Beloved, 
I pray that in all respects, you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. So starting from the inside, from deep inside, from your soul, God wants you to prosper. It's not good enough for you to live in a broken state. It's not good enough for you to say, well, I'm Scottish, you know, I just got a bad temper and I'm aggressive. It's not good enough for us to make excuses for who we are. So yesterday I went for an MRI. Anybody ever been for an MRI? It's like going to a submarine, right, or a big drum. Okay, they put you flat down and they leave you alone in the room. They say, push the button if you're scared. You know, that makes you scared, you know, <laughs> just that they say that to you. And uh, for about 20 minutes, the hair on your leg stands on edge, and you, know, you don't know what's going on. And afterwards, I'm chatting to them, and they said to me, oh, we, we looked at you, both from the horizontal and the vertical and the lateral. And the, I mean, we looked at you from three dimensions. And I said, well, can I see? And they, they showed me pictures of my knee, and it meant absolutely nothing to me. So. <laughs> Would you let God do an MRI on you? And you know what? He does an MRI on you all the time. Actually, the question is, will you look at your scan? Are you willing to face where you are at? Or do you just want to live with a limp? So I'm going to go see the doctor on Tuesday, and he's either going to say operate or not operate, and whatever it is. But, but at least I'm moving forward on that. Don't you want to become the man, the woman that God has for you to be? Not held back by the pain and trauma of the past. Not carrying the scars that cause you to be less than the fullness of who God has you to be. Now, why does it happen? Why does it happen that we get depressed? Why does it happen? What goes wrong with our souls, our emotions, our feelings? Why do we get downcast? Why do we lose passion for life? Why do we struggle with things? What is the problem? You know what the Bible says? It's complicated. <laughs> it's complicated. As I said, it's more nuanced and more multifaceted and more multidimensional than any book on psychology and psychiatry would answer. And I, I want to give you just Five aspects, and, and you understand. We're doing a four-week sermon series. We could take a whole year to talk about this. I'm just going to give you five components, and then, and then Nicola's going to share. So firstly, if you are hurting in your soul, it might be because of a physical aspect. It might be because there's something wrong with your body, and that is impacting straight into your soul might be lack of serotonin, it might be lack of sleep, it might be lack of good food, maybe you need exercise, maybe you need sunshine. Often, that, often there are things that are wrong in our bodies, chronic pain, things that we live with, things that we are going through, and these impact into our souls, and so we find ourselves depressed, we find ourselves in a bad place. But it's so interesting because it's like we're an open system, it's not just... It's not just from our body to our soul. It also goes from our soul to our body. That if you, are, if you are bad in your soul, it's going to impact your body. And if you are well in your soul, if you are resilient in your soul, it's going to cause you to be healthy and strong. And 
You know, science and medicine is catching up with what has been in the Bible all along. The American Medical Association says that stress is found to be the factor in 75% of all illnesses and diseases. Dr. Bruce Lipton, worth looking at him, made great strides in understanding the effect of thinking. And he says it's between 80 and 90%, sorry, 95% of all diseases are due to lifestyle choices. In other words, what we're thinking. The American Institute of Health says that between 75% and 90% of all visits to primary care physicians are stress-related illnesses. And so, what's in your soul impacts your body. And what's in your body impacts your soul. And, and, and we need to trust God to come into a place of health in both of these. Secondly, where you are in terms of your aspirations will directly impact your soul. We are called to be people who live with hope. We are called to be live as people who are pushing towards a preferred future. And if we don't have that, just something starts to die in us. And the Word of God says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. And, and that's a multidimensional. I mean, that's talking about the cross, but it's also talking about that it, that it feeds us. So Viktor Frankl, many of you know his story. He wrote about man's meaning in life. And... Uh, he was a, a concentration camp inmate for four years and was in four different Nazi concentration camps. And he developed his whole school of um, psychotherapy called logotherapy from it. And, and this is what he noticed in the concentration camps, that people who had hope, people who had a meaning, people who were pushing towards something, I'm going to get out of here and I'm going to have children. Or I'm going to get out of here and I'm going to get married. Or I'm going to get out of here I'm going to get back to my wife and kids. They survived. But people who had no purpose, who had no hope, who had no meaning, they just gave up and they died. We are called to be people who live with purpose and meaning. And even better, if we're living for the purpose that God has for us, then we really start living in our souls. I mean, you can pursue a whole lot of silly things, but if you pursue the fullness of what God has for you, then you come into life and life abundantly. A hurting soul can have an emotional and relational aspect, and this is obvious. Proverbs says, an anxious heart weighs a man down, but a kind word cheers him up. And so we all at times go through cycles of anxiety or panic or Paths, patterns of thinking that are, that are destructive, or maybe we, we repeat the traumas. And these things can impact our souls so deeply. I was blessed. I was, it was one of the highlights of my year this year. Pastor Jim LaFoon, one of our Every Nation leaders, he ran a school on emotional healing, three days of it, and I managed to attend a day and a half. And he highlighted just things like neuroplasticity, how the mind can be renewed how the mind can be transformed, that you don't need to stay in those paths of thinking. You don't need to keep living in that way. You don't need to keep reacting in that way. You don't need to have your emotions keep on repeating on you and keep on being in that same cycle or that same circuit. 
And we're going to trust that God brings healing to us tonight and the weeks ahead. As far as the relational aspect is concerned, the Harvard Business Study from, from the 30s is the most thorough study on what makes men healthy. In this particular case, it's men. We've got no reason to think it doesn't apply to women. They looked at hundreds of men for decades. And you know what they found? More than diet and more than sleep and more than their job and more than genetics, the most important thing of all, obviously they weren't, meant, they weren't measuring the spiritual part, but the most important thing of all was did they have meaningful relationships? That if they had meaningful relationships, they would be healthy. They would be strong. God intends us to live in community. He intends us to live in family, whether it's natural or spiritual. You know, sometimes you don't need medicine. Sometimes you don't need therapy, and I'm, I'm all for both of those. Sometimes you don't even need an answer. You don't need complicated reflection. Sometimes all you need, all you need is somebody to put their arms around you. Sometimes all you need is love. Sometimes all you... <laughs> I know it's the start of my new career. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> Sometimes all we need is just a word of kindness. And that's it, what that scripture says, you know? A word at the right time that's genuine and on point can just so minister to our souls. We have been made emotional. We've been made relational. And sometimes we just need support and we just need intimacy. Fourthly, a hurting soul can have a moral aspect, and, and please listen to me very carefully on this one. I don't want to be misunderstood. The Bible says a wicked man flees, though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. And this is a reference to, to Leviticus 26, where it says, if you disobey me, you will flee even though no one's pursuing you. Let's talk about your conscience. It's talking about guilt. It's talking about what goes wrong and what can go wrong inside when you constantly are doing what you know you shouldn't be doing. You're not living up to the standards that even maybe you've set for yourself. It doesn't say you flee when someone's pursuing you. I mean, I've fled. People have come at me with guns. I've fled when people have been pursuing me. But this is saying nobody's pursuing, but you flee. What does this mean? Sometimes, because of guilt, you start to live with a generalized sense of guilt. And so somebody criticizes you constructively, and you feel assaulted, and you feel attacked. It's your bad conscience. Bad conscience. Sometimes you, you have a small failure, just on a small thing, and you feel like your whole life is a failure. It's a conscience issue. It's a moral issue. Sometimes you are judging people. And so it comes back on you and you start to live with this feeling like you're being judged. Sometimes you speak badly about people and then you become paranoid that everybody's speaking badly about you. Sometimes you betray. You betray. And then you live with a constant fear that you're going to be betrayed. When people come to a doctor, they respond to it medically. When people come to a friend, they respond with love. 
We need to be careful as Christians that when people come to us, we don't quickly move to this and say the reason you're in this place is because of sin. Now sometimes it is, but many times it isn't. And we just need to have the fear of God upon us. Because sometimes it's physiological, it's chemicals, lack of serotonin, sometimes it's lack of purpose. Like men not working, it really affects them, lack of purpose. Sometimes it's lack of relationships. Sometimes it's an emotional cycle that people are in, and sometimes it is sin. Fifthly, a hurting soul can have a spiritual aspect. Psalmist writes, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? You may have your picket fence house. You might have your 2.3 kids. You may have your perfect job, your great spouse. You may be healthy. You may, you know, have your cycles of your brain in, in track and you go to bed at the right time and you eat well. But I'm telling you, there's a part of your soul that has been made only for God. Blaise Pascal talks about this. It's a God-shaped vacuum. And so you may be saying, and you may be here tonight, like, my life's okay, but I'm still empty. What is wrong with me? The answer is simple. There's a part of you that only God can fill. A relationship with Him. Enjoying Him. We heard about His presence tonight, that you're living in His presence with his presence in you. C.S. Lewis speaks about it so well, and he says the following. Most people, if they'd really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want, and they want acutely, something that cannot be had in this world. So no wife or husband or job or six-pack. <laughs> Even I used to have a six-pack. Even me. Those things, those things are not going to fill your heart. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love or first think of some foreign country or first take up some subject that excites us are longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning can really satisfy. Then he says he's not talking about unsuccessful marriages or holidays or careers. He says I'm speaking about the best possible ones, the best marriage the best career. There was something we grasped at in that first moment of longing which just fades away in the reality. There's a table that God offers that no one else offers. There's a, full, a fulfillment of soul that only God can give to us. C.S. Lewis goes on. He says, Our lifelong nostalgia our longing to be reunited with something in the universe from which we feel cut off, to be on the inside of some door which we have seen from the outside, is no mere neurotic fantasy. You're not neurotic, but the truest index of our real situation. One of the reasons why our soul is not well is because we are not with God, because we have a spiritual lack inside of us. Thank you, darling. I can definitely relate to Psalm 23, um, and especially the part of um, walking through the Valley of Shadows. And I just want to share part of my journey um, with you tonight. And I just want to say this, but by 
that by no means am I comparing what I went through to some of the pain and suffering that you might have experienced or people out there might have experienced. This is just um, the reality of my story. So it started um, my journey three years ago when I was attempting to do some home maintenance. And instead of um, getting to fix what uh, was broken, I broke myself instead. And uh, I herniated three discs. And um, what that really means is that the discs um, between the vertebra and the spinal cord bulge out and they press on the nerve endings in your spinal cord. And it just, you know, if you've suffered from back pain or nerve pain, it's, it's hard, that pain, to put into words. It really is a pain that is often indescribable. And I found myself in that I was in this cycle of sleep depression and pain because I couldn't, I couldn't rest. I couldn't get into a place where where relief came, and I was, I felt like I was going crazy, that I was losing my mind, and um, fortunately, I was hospitalized, and they gave me some um, injections in my back, and I was discharged a few days later, um, but I came out with nerve damage down my one arm, and then fortunately, I could get um, physio rehab for that, and um, that helped me, and my neurosurgeon was really confident that in the year ahead, we could fix these bulging discs um, through the conservative method of time and medication, and that the hope was that the, the discs would shrink back off, off touching the nerves. And he was confident, and so was I. And I really felt like I was going to receive the miracle that um, I hoped for. And so, to say the least, that year ahead was, was a really painful and difficult one. And um, even though two of my discs shrank back into place, the third disc actually became more damaged, and the, pa the pain was just heightened and more intense. Um, but again, the good news was is that the neurosurgeon said that he could do an operation for me and that he could actually do it quite soon. And I remember Roger and I sitting in, the, in his office and when he offered it to us, we didn't even have to speak about it. We didn't even have to think about it. We just looked at each other and said, yes, yes, this is what we are needing. And, you know, I'd had to walk through the disappointment of not receiving the miracle the way I'd thought I would receive it, not um, having the pain go away through that whole year of, of hoping and expecting um, but now I was being offered a chance, and I just knew this too was a miracle. And by no means is um, an operation a second-rate healing. I want you to know that, that, you know, what the knowledge and medical breakthroughs um, and abilities that God has given to doctors and the medical profession is just incredible and amazing. And I was so grateful to be offered this opportunity for a um, disc replacement. Um, and so, um, if you want to know what that is, um, especially because of the position um, in my lower neck, um, they, it, it's quite interesting. They uh, go through the front of the throat, and um, they, they cut that open and move your windpipe and your voice box out the way. And even though, um, you know, he, even though it's an invasive operation and it's to do with the spinal cord and all the nerves, um, he assured me that he has done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these. Worst case scenario, you could be paralyzed. Uh, something less is, um, <laughs> is 
a damaged voice. So I, I was really hoping that those didn't happen. Um, and so my op was scheduled, and it happened to be in the following November after I'd I'd first damaged my discs, and it was um, on the day of our 25th wedding anniversary that I went into um, theatre. Um, a few days later, I was home again, and I was full of hope and excitement because the operation, according to the neuro, was successful, and he said that you know it would be a six-week recovery, which is incredibly short compared to the year that I'd walked through. Um, you know, it's at this point that I really just want to express my absolute thanks to, to the spiritual family for so many of you who walked with me during that time of difficulty, of being in that valley of shadows. So many of you prayed for me, encouraged me, loved on me and my family practically in so many ways with meals and all sorts of things. And I just want to thank you so very much for a spiritual family that will walk the distance with you. Um, I will never say no to a prayer. Um, if anyone offers me a, to pray for me, I will receive it with all my heart because you know, you know deep inside that God, God is able, that he has a solution, that he will make a way. But um, a week later after the op, I um, all the same symptoms and the debilitating pain had come back again and now the numbness was uh, spreading down my arms and into my face, um, just like it was before. And um, I went back to the neurosurgeon, and he couldn't understand. He, But he put me on a course of um, other medication that really should have fixed the problem. And it does fix many people, but for some reason, I reacted badly to these meds. And I found myself literally spiraling down and hitting rock bottom. And I was in this terrible cycle of... Pain, depression, not healing because your body is in so much pain. You don't heal. You can't sleep. And you're just in this vicious, vicious cycle all the time. And um, it, was just, it was just too much for me. And even though I've you know, had such a um, supportive family and friends, um, I was in a battle that I felt like I was losing. And I was too exhausted to, to continue fighting this battle. And yet, um, you know, I'm holding on to the Lord with everything that I've got, that I can muster. I'm journaling, speaking the word over me, um, you know, just reaching out to God. And yet at the same time, it felt as if there was someone else inside of me that um, the suicidal thoughts, the considering the options, it was just all too much. And I found myself begging God to take me home um, and considering a way out myself. And um, if you find yourself in a place where you think the world is better off without you, that is a dangerous place to be. And that is incorrect thinking. That's the enemy's voice. He's the one who comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And, you know, no one is better off without you. Yeah. You might be free from your earthly pain, but your friends and family and loved ones will be trapped in their pain for as long as they live on earth. And they will have be left with the anger, the loss, and the questions. And... On top of things, I didn't realize that 
um, in that year previously, I had been clenching so much to try and deal with the pain that um, I'd, I'd cracked both my bottom molars in my jaw. And so that too had hit nerve pain in my jaw. And so now I had a whole lot of uh, <laughs> nerve pain going on. So, but you know, we all have defeat in our story somewhere. And Jesus, he came to seek and save what is lost. He came to fix the brokenhearted. He is the light in the darkness, no matter how dark the blackout is, and he is still the healer. And I'm not trying to give you a quick fix when I say this. I'm not trying to give you a blanket statement. But he understands pain more than anyone else does. So keep bringing your pain to him and trusting him um, to get you through one more day, to see one more sunrise. You know, the enemy wants you to think that you have less power than you do. And yet... If you still have a mouth, you still need to declare God's future and perspective over your life. And yet I find myself in this terrible place and I went to my GP and I just broke down in her rooms and I just said, I can't, I can't anymore. And yet I don't hold shame in my story and there shouldn't be a false Christian pretense or veneer. You know, we don't have to be doing flick flacks when things aren't okay. We can say, I'm not okay. And that's what I did. And um, immediately, thankfully, that she, um, uh, I was admitted again, and this time put under the care of a, a neurologist. Um, and I was actually so relieved to, be, to being readmitted because everything inside of me was screaming, please help. So the day that Nicola was readmitted, this is her third time in hospital, um, I really felt like I was losing her. And um, I try to be strong, and um, I'm not a big crier, okay? I, okay. I, I cried happy moments, you know? So you watch the movie, they find the dog, that's when I start to cry. <laughs> it's true. I don't cry at sad moments, typically, you know. And I can probably think of moments that I've cried two or three times in terms of sad moments. But um, so we check Nicola in, and her and I just go and get a cup of coffee. And we're sitting in the Santon Clinic uh, cafeteria restaurant. And uh, I start weeping. And more water coming out of my face than there is liquid in the coffee. You know, it was actually so good because I thought I was doing a good job. Well, I don't know if I thought I was doing good. I was doing the best job that I could to give her support. But, but somehow Nicola wasn't feeling my love. And when I just broke down in tears, she was like, okay, he really loves me. <laughs> Something about a man with tears. <laughs> now I'm getting teary. What I want to say to you is if you are supporting, if you are journeying with somebody who's going through a soul challenge, just because you can't do it perfectly doesn't mean you withdraw. I definitely was not doing it perfectly, but I'm so glad that I did what I did. And I want to encourage you not to shy away in your awkwardness, in your, I don't know how to do this, just be there. 
be there with love, be there with prayers, be there with compassion. And, and in the end, they will hear it and they will see it. So I was readmitted um, into a neuro ward for 17 days. I didn't know how long it would be, but one day just seemed to roll into the next. Um, they mostly keep you on sedatives because um, they're trying to break the ba pain barrier and give your brain a rest so that you can actually start to heal. So it's been another two years since my op, and I'm still on a journey. <laughs> and I still struggle with a daily degree of pain. Um, I'm still on meds, but I'm weaning off them slowly and surely. And I am so much better than I used to be. Um, I still go for regular checkups and tests, and I still do weekly physio rehabs. Um, but what I'm grateful for is that when I was barely holding on, Jesus was still holding on to me. He is the victor with scars. Come on. He is the light that crashes into the darkness. You and I were created by God and for God's glory. And that's why we stay in the story. Even if you still need medical help, you still need good counseling, even if you're in a psych ward, you stay in the story. Just don't do it in isolation. Speak up and speak out and get the help you need. And what I want to end with is that God does restore souls. And he does walk with you through the valley of the shadows and death. And if you give him an opportunity, he will lay a table before you in the presence of your enemies. And I did receive my miracle because he gave me grace for the journey that I'm walking on. Thanks on. for listening. Thank you, Danny. Okay. So, so God wants to do what only God can do, and that is bring healing. And each of our stories are unique. Each of our pain is, is unique. But if you are in a place of battle or pain or struggle, bring it to Jesus tonight. And as I said earlier on, God does miracles through the simple act of laying on of hands. You've heard the word, and I pray you are taking hold of it, that he lays a table, he sets a table before us, he prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies, that even though you're still facing some things, he wants to feed you. He wants to bring sustenance to your soul. And he wants to restore your soul. So I'm going to ask that we all stand. This is logistics. The standing is so that the ministry team can get out to the front. So ministry team, please come forward. Connect leaders, please come forward. And, and we're going to trust now for whatever situation you're in. And, and if you're willing, and I pray you don't carry shame. If you're willing, just say, this is what I'm dealing with. But if you want it to be an unspoken thing, that's okay as well. But we want to trust God with you for healing of your soul, whatever you're going through. You don't want to walk with a spiritual, with a soul limp for the rest of your life. And we've been praying and we're trusting for healing for you.